Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Bibles, if you would, turn to Galatians chapter 1 in the same place, then put your finger there and turn to Acts chapter 13. We're going to spend the majority of our early time here in Acts, but I do want to open up here in Galatians. Here we are singing about God's wonderful grace. We're singing about uh, the gospel. We're singing about what God has done for us, and it's good for us to sing those songs. And to be honest, we never can stop or sing those songs enough. Some of you say, boy, why do we sing so much about the gospel, talk about so much the gospel? Why do we sing so much about grace? Well, because it's that very thing that allows us to continue to breathe and live and have our being as we look in Him. I titled this message, What Are You Thinking? Because here we are singing about the gospel, singing about grace and contemplating who we are before God as sinful, rebellious children. But yet God in His glory and in His love loves us with, a, with an all-encompassing love that chooses to bring us out of there. And that's what is to keep us going. But yet, as we're going to see here in Galatians, they had forgotten the gospel. They had forgotten grace. These past two weeks, we've seen that Paul has been engaged in a battle for the gospel in this letter to the churches Galatia. He's writing to counter the false teaching of the Judaizers who were undermining the central New Testament doctrine of justification by faith. We are saved by faith alone and not by works. That's the central heartbeat of the gospel, of the Bible. The Judaizers were Jews who were spreading the dangerous teaching that Gentiles must first become Jewish proselytes or Jewish Uh, Jewish uh, religious worshipers and submit to all the Mosaic law, talking of the ceremonial, the legal, and all the moral laws of the Mosaic law, before they could become Christians. So for them, you could accept Jesus, but you must add something else. You've got to add it. It doesn't work by itself. In this case, specifically, circumcision. Now you need to remember, as Paul is writing to combat a very serious issue, he sees this as something worth fighting for. And let me tell you, there are things that we do not like to fight about in the church. You know, we don't like to struggle with them. But let me tell you, the gospel, salvation by faith alone, is something that churches need to fight over. It is something that it is fighting words to remove that, either from your doctrinal standings or from your teaching and your preaching. Paul and Barnabas had spent their first missionary trip establishing church, establishing these churches by presenting the gospel, discipling those believers, and ordaining elders to continue the work. They were in good stead. However, after some time, Paul receives word in some manner that the teaching of the Judaizers were starting to infiltrate those churches. And we're going to see here, as we, that's where we looked at the last two weeks, and you can go online and you can find those messages either on iTunes or on our website. 
If you'd like more information, see me afterwards and I can direct you where those are. But in verse 6, we're going to find three observations in this passage that Paul wants to make. The first one is there's a problem here of a short memory in verses 6 and 7. There's the problem of a short memory. You may read on the monitors, verse 6, it says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of God and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And Father, I ask before we go further into this, that you would ask for, that we would ask for your strength and the power of your Holy Spirit to come in. Let not your spirit be quenched. I pray that you break down any barrier, any type of thing that might cause distractions. Lord, may the word be lifted up and may you give discernment to know the difference between my words and your words. Lord, may you fill up what's lacking in my ability or speaking or presentation that you may be glorified. And Father, I pray that we would get the heart of the gospel, that we would grab a hold of it. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you revealed it to us. And Father, I pray that we would glorify you as we contemplate the truths found in this letter. We praise the name of your Son. Amen. I'm astonished, he says, that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of God and that you're turning to another gospel. He doesn't believe what's going on. Paul and Barnabas have been faithful in their presentation of the gospel. Earlier, I asked you to turn to Acts chapter 13, and what we're going to do is we're going to read very quickly. It's not going to be on the monitor. So again, I encourage you to bring your your scriptures with you uh, on Sundays. Some of it will be on the board, on the monitors. Others will not. But in Acts chapter 13, I want to share with you as we go through some of the message as Paul works his way through that church. In Acts chapter 13, we see as, as he's in Antioch in Basidia. And in Acts chapter 13, look at verses 42. 42 through 49, he says, And as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. This is spending some time uh, preaching and teaching, and now we're seeing a response is coming very, very uh, positive towards his message. In verse 43, And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout uh, converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of God, the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so that the, for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Look at verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. We see that God does a great work among the Gentiles. Again, many Jews believed, but once again, persecution, troubles, distortion, 
and it goes to the Gentiles, and we see a great fruit comes from that. He then moves to Iconium in chapter 14. Look at the first three verses of that chapter. He says, Now Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Again, a great miracle as God continues to work. Goes down then to Lystra, or Lystra. There's, again, problems in Iconium, so they go to Lystra. And look at Acts chapter 14. Let's move down to verse 21. For he says in verse 21, After a great miracle has happened, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and staying through many tri- and saying that through many tribulations uh, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. So as Paul and Barnabas go from city to city, we see that the gospel of the Lord is being spread. Many are receiving it, both Jews and Gentiles, but at each and every stop there always seems to be a division, but yet God still does a great work. As we go into chapter 14, you see the result of their first missionary trip as they return to Antioch in Syria in verse 24. And then they passed through Pisidia, and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Pergia, they went down to Attilia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the works that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened up a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples." In every city, they faced difficulties, oppositions, and even persecutions, if you were to go through those two chapters. They were thrown out of synagogues, they were reviled, and even stoned, yet they continued to preach the gospel of salvation by faith alone. In Acts chapter 13, 38 through 39, we find that the heart of Paul's message centered on the fact that Jesus is the Messiah whom God raised from the dead, so that sinners might be saved through him. In his emphasis on the gospel of grace, Paul made a critical statement in verses 38 and 39. You may want to look at that back in chapter 13. One that must have shocked his Jewish audience. And it's the one that caused probably the most division. For he says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, speaking of Jesus, forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone, Jew and Gentile, who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Those are strong words to a Jew. What Paul is saying is you are now set free. What the law of Moses could not do, Jesus has done by being our substitute. And believing in him, doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, 
anyone and everyone who calls on him can find salvation. In contrast to the legalism of first century Judaism, Paul asserted that faith in Christ can do what keeping the law of Moses could never do. Forgiveness of sin and true spiritual freedom comes only through the work of Christ and not through keeping the Mosaic law. As we read in chapters 13 and 15 of Acts, that caused much turmoil among the Jews, especially the religious leaders, as they saw their hold on the people begin to waver and loosen. It wasn't long before those newly converted believers were faced with those that wanted to distort and misrepresent the gospel for their own ends. You're still there in Acts chapter 13 and 14, I believe. Look at verse chapter 15, if you would. And look at that first verse. For now we see what's starting to happen and why he's writing to the Galatians. For in chapter 15, verse 1, it says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised, According to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And there's a Greek word for that. It's called hogwash. There's no sense in which they were correct, but yet they were finding themselves infiltrating the Christian churches. And Paul and Barnabas, after seeing great things that God has done, the churches are rejoicing that God is bringing the Gentiles in by the hundreds, if not the thousands, into the kingdom. And you can see these probably fairly new churches with their newer uh, elders as they're growing and they're sharing the gospel of grace. And all of a sudden, Jews, people that they would probably look up to. And as they infiltrated the church, they said, well, you accepted Christ? Well, that's great. But are you doing the Mosaic Law? Are you following the washings? Are you doing all the things that the Mosaic Law says to you? Have you been circumcised? You might remember in our study in Genesis is that was how you came into covenant with God was by the male being circumcised. And they said, yeah, we want you in the family of God, but to be in the family of God means that you have to be circumcised. And you could imagine how this church at first was like, that's not what Paul said. Paul didn't mention any of that. Did you hear Paul say that? He said we're just saved by grace alone, by what Jesus did for us. He said that the Mosaic Law had no effect. You can almost imagine there might have been at first uh, some doubt, maybe denial, but then maybe some doubt. You know how Satan works. First he causes you to doubt it, he causes you to deny it, he causes you to choose the other way. And bit by bit, these people were starting to doubt what Paul had shared. And maybe even some of them has gone so far as to begin to be circumcised and to try to follow the law of Moses. And Paul is astonished. Instead of giving them a thanksgiving or saying, hey, thanks be to God to you, I want to thank God for you, as he does in almost every letter to a church. He says, what are you thinking? I don't understand it. <laughs> what are you doing? Have you not forgotten the message I've given you? What's interesting here, he says, he says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting 
Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And that's what he's saying here. To add the Mosaic law, to add anything to salvation by faith, is another gospel. But what I think is important here is you and I need to understand this before we go on is that Paul equates going to a different gospel, deserting the gospel of grace, is the same as deserting God. You see that? He says it's not that you're deserting my opinion and my teaching. He doesn't say, boy, you've just gone in error. He says you've deserted the very God who's rescued you. That's a very important standard here as we look. Paul's saying, what's going on? There's people that are changing the gospel. And that leads us to the second observation that you and I must understand. Is that to distort or misrepresent, that's why I put it on the board, by the way, so you can can read what I'm trying to say. The gospel. To distort the gospel is a serious offense with serious consequences. Look what he writes to them. He says, but even if we or an angel should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, obviously this is something that he repeated before he left. I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be what? accursed. By the way, feel free to shout out with me on that. What is he saying here? This is a serious offense with serious consequence. He says it doesn't matter even if I am to come back and if I were to change the gospel. He says reject me. Put me out. He says even if an angel were to come down to you and to speak a new word to you, reject it. I think of Mormonism. How did you receive the tablets, an angel. He says, reject it. Let him be what? Accursed. But yet we find in this case, they did not do so. And Paul is only repeating here what he said before. I could imagine as they were ordaining the elders, as he was leaving each new church plant, I'm sure he looked at them and he says, listen, there's going to become others. There's going to become wolves. They're going to come and they're going to distort the gospel. They're going to come and try to take away your freedom. They're going to be Jews in every city who have hated what we shared, and they're going to try to tear you apart. Wolves are going to come in, and they're going to try to destroy your flock. And that's what Satan does, does he not? He tries to destroy your church. But let me tell you, once again, as proven here in this passage, and as true as even today, is that the problems that we face are not from outside the church, but from within. For it's those that come in and begin to teach and distort and misrepresent the gospel. That's where the danger is. Why he tells the elders, be careful. It wasn't people from the outside, it's people who had infiltrated the church people who had gained influence, people who had gotten an opportunity to be heard. And instead of letting them be accursed and kicking them out and squelching it, they allowed it to be played. They gave them a hearing. You see what's wrong with that? Let's, Let's be tolerant. As a church, we should allow 
everyone with every different belief, and as long as we get along, then that's okay. But let me tell you, that's not the church of God. There's nothing wrong with being tolerant and allowing different interpretations where the Bible allows us to have different interpretations. There's nothing wrong to have different matters of opinions where scriptures allows us to do that. But when it comes to those things that are so central and to the heartbeat and to the very core of the gospel, we cannot allow that to be changed and distorted and misrepresented. Let me tell you, it's a serious offense with a serious consequence. To preach and teach the gospel is is not to be done in a light manner but as a precious treasure is to be given out and protected. Which leads us to number three. Paul had a deep respect for the gospel and its purposes. Look at verse 10. For he says, For now am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please, still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You and I must remember, what is it in chapter 13 and 14 that Paul went through? He was reviled. He was kicked out. He was threatened. He was even stoned, but lived through it for the gospel. This was not a man who was seeking his own agenda. As we'll see next week, the gospel had radically transformed Paul's life. He did not suffer through all the trials and persecution in his life, to advance his own agenda or to blow his own horn. No, his life was spent and poured out for the one who saved him. You and I are in the same way. Paul says, boy, if I wanted to speak a gospel that was going to be pleasing to men, then I would have just gone to Jews and said, hey, Mosaic law is good, circumcision is good. Hey, just add Jesus to the mix. He would please everyone. And to the Gentiles, he'd go a little bit different and add a little bit different in every region and say, well, this region is different than in this region. Isn't that what we do here? The Midwest gospel is different than the the California gospel. The California gospel is different than the gospel you need in the New England uh, East Coast, right? And in the Bible Belt, well, that's even a little bit different. Oh, and let's not forget the rest of the world. They need a different flavor of the gospel. We taint it, we change it, we pull it. It's like taffy. We treat it like bologna. Just cut off all the bad spots. You still have some good bologna left, right? I'm not sure if that's true or not. I'm not a bologna lover. Unless you're fried. I like fried bologna, though. I know that's... I know, but if you put mustard on it, it's good. But there was a problem of a short memory. To distort and misrepresent the gospel is a serious offense with serious consequences. Paul had a deep respect for the gospel and its purposes. For it changed his life. And you and I need to have the same type of uh, feeling and same type of protectiveness about the gospel. From it, it, it flows eternal life. For us today, I need to share with you That even though Galatians was written 2,000 years ago, it still has an effect today. The gospel is still distorted. There's not many Jews getting infiltrating the churches, saying that you need to follow the Mosaic law, and that you need to be circumcised. 
Not a lot of that happening, though it happens in some cases. But there is a distortion going around. I want to share with you five types of distortion of the gospel in our day. The first one is the cake mix concept. The cake mix concept. And what that is, is you just kind of put a little bit of everything in there. The gospel can be anything you want it. All you want it to do is you want it to look good and taste good, right? The problem is, just like cake, if you leave out the main ingredient, that cake doesn't taste very good. But yet what we want to do is we just kind of want to throw whatever it is that we want in there. If we leave out key ingredients, our soul will never rise to God. It'll just be there and be some doughy-looking substance. You see, you and I don't need the message reduced to some irreducible elements. We need the whole gospel. We need the real ingredients. We don't need the fake stuff. You don't expect your car to thank you for that. You don't expect your car to run without all the parts. Yes, we're learning that, aren't we not? You don't expect your body to function without all the organs working properly. And you don't expect the cake to taste right if you rush and ready it without the right ingredients. I think of repentance. Probably a word that many of us do not hear in the right, in the right uh, motive today or the right way. But we find in Acts chapter 18, verse 26, we find a man who knew the gospel. His main name was Apollos. And he spoke very fluently, was very persuasive in his speak, and God was using him. But it says in Acts 18, 26, And he, Apollos, began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. What does that mean? Is you and I need to understand that we have the right ingredients. What is the gospel? Let me give it to you real quick. It's not on the monitors. It's real quick. You know what it is. I've shared it. It's the man. It's God. Or excuse me, it's God. God is the most wonderful creator there all is. And he created us to love us. Everything that we have stems from him. He is a holy, loving, righteous God. But yet we in our humanness have fallen from him and we've fallen far in sin and we cannot approach God. And because of our rebellion, all of us are, are, are guilty and, and worthy of death. But the gospel continues with redemption. And the fact that there's Jesus where he sent his only son, not only to pay the penalty of our sin, but also earned our righteousness so we can have peace with God and stand right before him. And the last ingredient that we need for the gospel is that of response. Man, once again, responding in faith to what God has done through Jesus Christ. See, that's the gospel. It cannot happen without repentance. It cannot happen without God's calling. The second distortion that you might see today is the cultural gospel. And that's the postmodern sales job. It's where you go for the heart. And you just try behavioral modifications. Where we try to understand the culture, we have to realize that asking for repentance and asking for them to give everything away is no good. We see that with the young man who came to Christ and said, how can I have eternal life? Jesus said, simply sell all that you have. Give to the poor. Come follow me. And the young man went away sad. 
because he had many things. We have a cultural gospel that says we need to appreciate the cultural differences. To ask someone to abandon the, the American dream is too much. To follow him is too much. We don't need slick salespeople giving out the gospel. We need bold, spirit-filled messengers with a deep heart of compassion for the lost people. The gospel without any binding truth is not the gospel. In Acts chapter 17, it says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Then leads us to the third one of distortion, and that's the cool gospel. I think that's probably the one that's most avant-garde out here. The cool gospel. But Jesus transcends fashion trends. Marketing Jesus is cheap and powerless. We don't need to spin the message. We need to say it as it is. We need to stop shaping Jesus into some misguided effort to make him more appealing. And that's what we tend to do. We need to change the message so that people will come. You hear it time and time again. People are lamenting, where are our children in church? Where are the young adults? Where are those that are 17, 18, 19, up to 26, 27, 28 years old? They may grow up in the church, but then they leave. And then they only come back to when they have children so that they can have Sunday school, but yet their attendance is very limited. Where are those children? So let's change the gospel. Let's change our message to make it more palatable to them. That's the cool. That's where it makes differences how you look and how your screens look in your music. You're more interested in how you present everything. You want to make it fashionable. Jesus doesn't need to be like us. We need to be like him. And that's what happens so many times, is it not? We don't really want to ascend to God's throne. We just need to make God and bring him down in our own image. Jesus is my buddy. He's my friend. We're just hanging out. We're wearing our scripture t-shirts. We've got our scripture tattoos and we're all going in it. Look how cool I am. The Revelations 3.17 warns the church, Behold, because I say to you I am rich and become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know how wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked you are. We don't need to make the gospel cool. We need to show the people the reality of who we are and our need for. And it brings us to the carnal gospel. That's the fourth one. And that's where we ask, what can Jesus do for me? Can he make me more happy? Always make me happy and never hurting? Jesus solves those issues. Jesus is the great philosopher, teacher, and my psychoanalyst. That's all I need to do is take Jesus and add him to my problem. That's the kind of Jesus that many people are looking for. In other words, there can be six billion ways to God. There's not just one way. But what she's just quoting there and what we're seeing from these people is several lies. The first lie is the lie of pluralism. And that salvation is gained through all religions. Doesn't matter if you're Buddhist, doesn't matter if you're Hindu, doesn't matter where you are, all paths lead to God. 
Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We see the folly of inclusivism. And that says salvation may be gained without Christ. In other words, it doesn't, you never have to say Christ. You just don't even have to acknowledge Him. But everyone will be saved. Acts 4.12, though, instructs us that there's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by whereby we must be saved. See, the truth is not found in all the different paths. You see, this is something that even today the culture just hates. And that's the exclusivism of Christ. The exclusivism of Christianity. You see, salvation is gained only through Christ. For Jesus clearly stated in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that's been distorted even by churches and Christians alike. You and I must be careful not to repeat the error of not only Galatians, but the uh, the current. Corinthians, as Paul warned them in his letter, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And mark this, as Paul said, to go away from the gospel, to desert the gospel, is to desert God himself. And the one who deserts him is accursed. Unfortunately for many churches, they have fallen to the cunning of Satan, as did many of the Corinthians. For he continued to write, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaim, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. And we see that today with acceptance and tolerance of Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, just within the branch supposedly of Christianity, and those who would deny salvation by faith alone, not speaking of, well, let's also accept any other ways of faith. You and I must understand the treasure that the gospel is and hold it dear. You see, it's through the gospel you and I have eternal life. It's through the gospel we have abundant life. It's only through the gospel that we have peace with God freedom from the penalty of sin, freedom from the power of sin, and inheritance with Christ, and the hope of all things being made new. It's found only in the gospel. Bring your attention to the monitor. For we see not only did this happen 2,000 years ago to today, but also at the turn of the century, as we see five gospel warnings by J.C. Ryle, a pastor in England. He says, number one, he says, if you substitute anything for Christ, circumcision, the Mosaic law, reading the Bible, the sacraments, the gospel is totally spoiled. He said, add anything to Christ, and the gospel ceases to be a pure gospel. You put anything between a a person and Christ, and that person will neglect Christ for that very thing. Number four, you spoil the portions or proportions of Christ's gospel and you spoil its effectiveness. And number five, he said, evangelical religion must be the gospel, the whole gospel, 
and nothing but the gospel. So you and I, as we look into this 2,000-year letter, you and I are called to a special calling, to hold dear to that gospel. Our duty is to hold on to the precious gospel, to live out its implications for our lives and to share it with others. You and I need to cling to the gospel of Christ and accept no substitutes. Let me lead with the end here with the letter, a letter from Paul. For in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you receive and in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. Would you join with me today? OVBC needs to be a church that holds on to the gospel. We need to protect the gospel. We need to live out the implications of the gospel. And we need to share that precious gospel. Father, Help us to do so, for we are frail and weak in of ourselves. And it's only by your grace that we have not fallen to that. Lord, help us to realize the distortion and the false and fake gospels that are out there. Let us expose them for what they are. Lord, I pray that we would see the gospel as worth fighting for, as worth defending. And Lord, let it be true and pure here at Orange Villa and in our hearts. Lord, make it a treasure. Prepare us for that hard work. And we thank you for calling us to your own. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.